Welcome to the podcast where I invite you on a journey to explore meaning, vulnerability and purpose through the lens of a life lived in geekdom. I'm David Monteith and I am the Naked Geek. And welcome back to the boudoir. I'm David Monteith, the Naked Geek. And today's tipple is odd. Um, I was just like, you know, this is the 15th episode and I've just been talking about alcohol <laughs> non-stop. And I thought, you know what? Some days I feel like I drink, drink, but I don't feel like alcohol. Uh, what is it? What is it that I do on those days? <laughs> I drink pink grapefruit juice. I, I just, I don't know what. I used to hate grapefruit. And then I went to Jamaica and someone climbed a grapefruit tree and he threw one down to me and cut it open and it was so good. I was quite young when this happened. Like from that day on, I was like, yeah, grapefruit is good. And also, unlike the grape, by the time it gets here, I don't know what goodness is leached out of it, but over there, it was sweet. It had that sourness, but it was also sweet. And then I came over and I discovered pink grapefruit. And I'm like, yeah, that's my jam. And I just remember drinking some pink grapefruit juice and going, it's kind of got that that bitterness that kind of hits the, the beer front. Uh, and it's got that hint of sweetness behind it. Some multi-layered experience. It's like a good craft beer, but in, in juice form. Yeah, don't know what I'm talking about. However, my non-alcoholic tipple is pink grapefruit juice. But let me give you a podcast recommendation. One of my students uh, started a podcast called The Alcohol Free Sommelier. And Chrissy has started this just looking at the the options and alternative to uh, alcoholic drinks. When you want that taste, but you don't need that alcohol in your life. Um, it's not geeky at all, but I think it's definitely, she knows what she's talking about. It's Dan. She's got a really interesting format and it's really worth checking out. I'll put a link for that in the show notes um but yeah there you go pink grapefruit juice what do you know so what are we talking about today and when i was much younger i discovered isaac asimov's classic foundation series and there were three books initially foundation 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 and empire and second foundation Now, the premise was that a mathematician named Harry Seldon got himself in trouble with the galaxy-spanning empire by founding the science of psychohistory, which was a branch of mathematics that is able to predict the actions of large groups. And he says it showed him the fall of the empire and following that 30,000 years of barbaric turmoil before a second empire would be able to restore order. And he manages to convince the Empire to send him and his people into exile, where they can compile the Encyclopedia Galactica to help preserve knowledge. And the Empire sees this as a good way to get rid of him. And, you know, you know, you know, there's nothing wrong with an encyclopedia. It's quite good in the in the long run. So they can just send him to the edge of the galaxy on a planet called Terminus with his people as far away as possible so he can set up his new foundation. Now, Harry Seldon agrees to this, but he also sets up a second foundation at the opposite end of the galaxy. More on that later. Um, I should mention that Apple has recently produced an adaptation of Foundation for TV. And while I have to stress that if you are a purist, you're not going to like it. I took it for the loosely based on the book production that it was and absolutely loved it. Anyway, back to the books. Oh, actually, while I'm digressing, I need to say that the books, as much as I love them and continue to love them and will always love them, they are not without their problems. They're written in the 50s and the inherent misogyny is quite apparent, to say the least. 
um, the personal development of the characters are a distant second fiddle to the concepts in the book. And the writing style doesn't really allow for much envisioning of how society might change from the 50s. Suffice it to say that the strength of these books lies in their plot and their concepts more than in the writing, I think. Now, back to the story. Harry Seldon dies shortly after all of this happens and 50 years into the foundation, the inhabitants of Terminus now find themselves in a crisis as the four most powerful planets near them become a threat. Now, at the same time, a time vault opens up and an image of Seldon appears revealing that they are not there to compile an encyclopedia, but to reduce the Dark Age from 30,000 years to 1,000 years by following the Seldon plan, which will bring about the Second Empire in a fraction of the predicted time. And that this is the first crisis of many. With this information, a new mayor takes control and finds a way to allow the crisis to be beaten. Once this is done, the story moves on a few years to the next crisis and a new mayor. And so basically, you just repeat this format every time a crisis comes up, watch how the current administration or upcoming rebels deal with it, and then fast forward to the next crisis. And in this way, we cover about, in, over the course of the three books, we cover about the first 500 years of Harry Seldon's 1000 year plan. Now, what I loved about this was about this format was the overarching temporal scope of the book, a space opera that moved through time, acknowledging that change is inevitable and that things move on. It, it speaks to my frustration at the moment with mainstream comic companies in particular that refuse to move their universes on in any discernible way. It's been decades. Why is Bruce Wayne still Batman when so many capable replacements exist? Why is Clark Kent still Superman? Even, coming to the TV world, even my favourite, Doctor Who, it should be dead by now. Anyway, that's not my point. Uh, I loved the movement in this book. I loved the passing of the baton, the acknowledgement that things move on. Now, the second book throws a spanner in the works when something happens that Harry Seldon couldn't possibly have foreseen and Mewtwo with the power to control men's minds and motivation starts to take over the galaxy and derail the plan. Now eventually he's defeated by the machinations of the second foundation who it appears are not just an analogue of the first foundation at the other end of the galaxy but they are guardians of the plan. Harry Seldon, it would appear, knew that no matter how good the maths were, he couldn't foresee everything. So he designed the Second Foundation as a group who would continue developing the science of psychohistory and develop the influencing powers of their minds and keep the plan on track. Now, the inevitable friction between the first and second foundations are exploited in later stories, Foundation's Edge and Foundation Earth, written nearly 20 years later, as they struggle for the autonomy versus the plan. And that whole thing just escalates. But here's what struck me. How do you make a plan that is foolproof and is reaching for that too exhausting to even complicate? I think the answer is that you can't make that kind of plan. It's impossible. The question then is, why even bother? Is planning just some exercise in existential futility? <laughs> I've been dying to say the words existential futility. But uh, yeah, sorry, back on track. So. Is it pointless? Is it better just to jump in and let the tide carry you wherever and whenever it will? See what you can build from what's around you? There's certainly something to that ability to improvise and exploit and reading about the life of Steve Jobs. You can definitely see a little of that went into the creation of Apple. The General Eisenhower once said this, In preparing for battle, I have always found that plans are useless. 
but planning is indispensable. I love that. What it says to me is that you have to acknowledge that no plan is perfect. No plan can be perfect because you cannot foresee everything. Sorry, Batman, you just can't. But it also speaks that without a plan, you haven't given yourself any tools, any forethought, any foresight into dealing with whatever comes along. If you don't know where you're headed, how can you improvise and exploit the things around you to create that which you want to build? Now, I way back in episode two, I think it was, I said, you know, I do not, I, my decision was not to live my life looking in the rear view mirror and getting bitter about all of that. But I look back now thinking about planning and the lack of planning. And I think, where would my acting career be if I had a plan? If I had a, uh, an arrow-like focus telling me this is where I'm going to be, not just I want to be an actor, but what kind of actor I want to be, where I want to be, what productions I'm aiming for. I drifted aimlessly into that, going, oh, I'll just do anything and everything and be brilliant at anything and everything. And it doesn't work that way. You need to kind of, I don't know, niche down to use a phrase that I actually have begun to hate. Um, but you need to know what your focus is and that will allow you to exploit the things around you as you see them come up it will open your eyes to opportunities you don't see if you haven't if you're not looking for them it doesn't mean that you cannot get to a point where you go this plan is rubbish let's make another one it doesn't mean you can't get to a point where you go actually what I was aiming for is not what I want after all but without it you limit yourself. I think maybe it's like writing. Uh, there's that question that writers always get asked, where do you get your ideas from? And actually, some of the ideas for the next book come from writing the book you're on. So you need to have something in play in order to find your way through to the ultimate goal. Thinking about this, I suddenly realised that I've never told my agents what my acting goals are. One of the reasons I got into acting was because I knew I could never be an astronaut, but the next best thing was to be in a science fiction film in space. Because, you know, I couldn't be an astronaut. My maths was rubbish. So I'm actually going to, as soon as I finish recording this, I'm actually going to pick up my phone and say, look, this is my aim. I want this. Let's work towards it rather than throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Let's go for that. I'm going to ring my voice agent, go, I want to be in a big finished production, being in a, in a Doctor Who story. I want to, I have an aim. I have a plan. I'm going to take steps. Just picking up the phone is part of the plan. It's making steps. It's going towards that goal. And I'm excited to see where that goes because now I know where I'm going. I'm putting steps in place to get there. What I love about Harry Seldon in the Foundation books is that what made him all-seeing and all-knowing was that he knew he wasn't all-seeing and knowing that no plan was going to work, but it was worth making a plan with that in mind. So let's see what happens. Wish me luck. Thank you once again for joining me in the boudoir. So my one little favour is to ask you to head over to the Facebook group, join in the conversation, start a conversation of your own. Let's really touch base on some of the themes we've talked about. And tell me, is there any um, science fiction books from yesteryear which <laughs> are a guilty pleasure? I said the misogyny in this one is quite hard to get through sometimes. Uh, is there any old school stuff which you go, you know what, I probably really shouldn't like this as much as I do, but I really do. 
let me know and I'll see you in the boudoir next week. I'm David Monteith, The Naked Geek. Thank you.